0: There is, um, I don't know, there's a lot of energy in the house today. I don't know about you, I kinda would like for us to get an hour every week, you know what I'm saying? Just gain the hour, who's in favor of an extra hour of sleep every weekend, that's good stuff. We are so glad you are here. If you're a guest, my name is Benji, get the awesome privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. Can we welcome all of the campuses? Love you guys at all of our campus locations in the spirit of celebration. Let me just go ahead and uh, lift this up because this is worthy of great celebration. You should clap for this louder than anything you have clapped for so far. Last Sunday, we saw 124 people receive the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We saw uh, 50, 51, I think it is, maybe it's 54 people go public with their faith and get baptized. Throw on that the six people that got baptized before that, and it's 60 total people got baptized. So exciting, and I am glad you are here. Today, we begin a brand new series titled What? Grit. Grit. And I just want to say on the front end, that I believe that there is no more important characteristic in the life of a human being, let alone a believer, than grit. Now I realize some of you might disagree with that and that's okay, we can agree to disagree, amen? But I'm just telling you that I believe, I I have come to believe that there is no more important characteristic in the life of a believer that will enable him or her to navigate and maneuver through this thing called life than grit. It is that important. And if I were to take 2 Timothy, and you can go and open up your Bibles, go ahead and open those to 2 Timothy. Um, and we're gonna be here for this entire series. Now, listen in. This is really important, because um, I know some of you, you don't really bring your Bibles to church because you're like, you, you, you're, it's a little hard, man. The pastor says, open up to uh, Leviticus, right? And you're like, Leviticus who? <laughs> and, 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 and then you don't, even, you, know, you don't wanna open it because you, you know, it might take you a long time and you might not find it. Well, two things about that. One is table of contents. There's no shame in this game. You can look in the table of contents. No judgment on you for that. But secondly, when we do a series like this, Grit, when we do a series like this and we hunker down in one book for the entire series, check it out. You can go home, prepare your Bible, get the page already marked. And so that when I say, hey, turn your Bible to uh, 2 Timothy, you go, bam. (laughs) You look at your neighbor and go, what's up, what's taking you so long? Like, there you, you do know, don't you? There, there are multiple kinds of sermons. I, I, I know this is preacher talk, and, and you probably don't know this, nor should you care, I guess. But uh, this is what I did my doctoral work on. There are three kinds of sermons, primarily in the history of the church there's a narrative sermon, which I, I teach those, there is a topical sermon where I come in here and I talk about a topic that you're, that you're dealing with, and then there's an expositional type of sermon. And this entire series is going to be expositional, where I am gonna actually plow through Second Timothy, almost in a verse-by-verse fashion. So bring your Bibles, bring your highlighters, bring your pen, and let's go get this. Secondly, I would highly recommend that you read 2 Timothy this week if you haven't already. And read it in one setting. We're gonna be in it for five weeks. Read it in one setting. You're like, how long is it? It's only four chapters. It's it's four short chapters. And the reason I don't want you to just read a little bit of it is because it's a letter. It's a letter. So when Timothy gets this letter from the apostle Paul, I can promise you, he didn't open it up and go, "I'll I'll just read a chapter today. Number one, there were no chapters back then. Number two, he devoured it. It was a letter from his mentor. We are eavesdropping on a divine conversation between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. So before you come back next week, read it all in its entirety. If I could boil it all down into one word, the entire book of 2 Timothy, I would boil it down into this word, grit. Grit. Paul is looking at young Timothy and he's making sure that he understands, listen, Timothy, quitting is not an option. You run the race and you carry on. And he's inserting and infusing and teaching some incredible principles that, again, I believe is the most important characteristic in the life of a believer if they're gonna make it through this thing called life, standing on their feet, as it were. Also, I wanna give you a book to read. You don't have to. We're gonna be in 2 Timothy, but I just feel like I should also tell you about some other extra canonical resources, if you will. This book is phenomenal. It's It's titled Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Her name is Angela Duckworth. She is a phenomenal scholar on grit. In fact, she did an amazing TED Talk. Go check it out. Just Google TED Talk, Angela Duckworth, This book, if if you get like, I want more, I can't get enough of this grit stuff, go get this book. We've got it at our resource centers. We sold out in the last celebration, but you can go and pre-order. And if you want a book back here next week, do go and pre-order, because we're just gonna order those that you folks order today. Angela Duckworth says this in her book. She says this, Grit is the combination of passion and perseverance, It is the strongest, watch this, watch this one. Strongest predictor of success and achievement. More than talent, intelligence, aptitude, genetics. Can I throw one in? Good looks. Some of you some good looking people. Let me tell you something. Your good looks will only take you so far. The same with your talent. The same with your intelligence. Don't care what school you went to. The greatest predictor of success is grit, genetics and personal personality traits. Here we go. Gritty people. Gritty people are those who are able to maintain, here's some key words, consistent determination. And I would, I would throw over over a long period of time. Consistent determination toward a single long-term goal for an extended period of time, despite obstacles, setbacks and failures. Let's go, let's continue. People can grow in, this is important. Some of you have already said, well, I'm just not gritty. Some of you are like, I can't finish anything, right? I can't, I can't even finish the yard. I can't finish a picnic table. I can't own a home, I can't do this. I can't. No, 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 don't sell yourself short. Research is coming out over and over and over letting us know that you can actually learn to develop grit. So she says, people can grow in and develop grit both inside out and outside in. It's this combination of passion and perseverance over a long period of time that truly sets you apart. It will set you apart from other people in your workplace. It'll set you apart from people in your family tree it can break generational curses it's the power of grit and again if i could just summarize second timothy i would actually say it like this do not quit find your grit say it with me do not quit find your grit like like you mean it really loud do not quit Find your grit. Now look at your neighbor and tell them, do not quit, find your grit. You, you did great with that. You did great with that. So let me just give you a little context. If we're gonna spend five weeks on a book of the Bible, I wanna, I wanna teach you some context. And this is kind of important for me to say on the front end of this series. An expositional sermon series is different. I'm gonna be plowing through verse by verse by verse. I am not up here to entertain you. I am up here to teach you the word of God. Come on now. And so uh, it, it, an expositional series, it's just, it's, just, it's just different. And I love it. And as a church, you've always communicated very clearly. You love these kinds of series. So grab your, grab your pen. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you. If you want to steal it, just steal it in the name of Jesus. It is okay. You can take it out of here. We give you permission and then you can hand it to somebody you know who needs Jesus and invite them to church. Context for 2 Timothy. Often, if you've got your old school Bibles, and again, I encourage you to do that, normally at the beginning of a book, there's margin, there's all kinds of rooms for you to take some notes. So I encourage you to write in your Bible. It's not a sin to write in your Bible, it's a tree, church. It was a tree that now has the word of the Lord on it, okay? So it's not not the paper that's the, the message, it's the word on the paper, amen? amen? So a little context here. Second Timothy is known as one of the Pauline epistles or pastoral epistles, okay? So Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, uh, you know that. Paul wrote 13 of the epistles in the New Testament. I'm not talking about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but of the epistles, Paul wrote 13, he wrote a ton Uh, of the epistles. Second thing you need to know, the early Pauline epistles helped to establish a pattern of, of what? The truth, the faith, and sound teaching. So in other words, Paul is trying to course correct some poor teaching. There were false teachers in that day. Bad theology started to seep into the life of the church, and Paul is course correcting that. Next thing, if Timothy was written by the Second uh, Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege Timothy. So it's it's Paul. He's an older man. He's looked at Timothy. He's like this this dude has it. He's got what it takes. Paul kind of hand picks him, starts to pour into him. About 15 years prior than the, to when this book was written, Paul they've had a relationship for about 15 years. Paul finds him when he's a teenager, a young person. The Bible says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Paul, Paul handpicks him, starts pouring into him, and starts developing him. If Timothy was written late in Paul's life, Second Timothy was written late in Paul's life, after he had been freed from his first imprisonment in Rome, Make a note, parenthetically, Acts 28. You can go read that later, Acts 28. And it allows us to date First and Second Timothy in the mid 60s. In the mid 60s. Now, for those of you who are seasoned and a little older among us, I'm not talking about Woodstock 60s. <laughs> Dude, I watched a documentary on Woodstock the other day. You folks were wild, man. That was before my time, but like, you guys, you guys like drugs and nakedness way too much, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is <laughs> these were the '60s, as in the first '60s, if you will. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? Say Amen. amen. Open up your Bibles. Here we go. Second Timothy, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, you you might think there's not a lot there. Keep going. But let me just camp out for a moment on the word apostle. The word apostle is a word that we don't hear much uh, more these days. Uh, Some of you might recall, you remember the movie The Apostle? With Robert Duvall, that was awesome. Great, great movie, but it's dated now. But the word apostle is is a categorization of a gift. You know, you see in the Bible, you find all these gifts, the ways in which God has gifted us. You've got those who are gifted to teaching. You've got those who are gifted to administration. You've got those who are gifted to preaching. You have those who were gifted to apostleship. Paul was an apostle, to which you might say, well, what does that mean? Apostle, the definition for the word apostle is one sent by God on a mission for God. One sent by God on a mission for God. If I can just take a moment just to camp out on that for just a second. If you want to to develop more grit in your life, kind of a side note, but I think it's important enough to mention it, you need to understand, you need to work really, really hard to discern and discover what is your purpose in life. Why are you here? Because when life gets hard, and it will get hard, and when you feel like quitting, the one thing that can help you hold on for dear life at times is if you know you are living on point and on mission for your purpose in life. Go to verse two. To Timothy, my dear son. Now, I want you to just pay attention to the words. It's very relational. Paul Paul doesn't call anyone else my dear son. It's intimate. Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What is cool about understanding the context of this, again, is that we're able to kind of just listen in on a conversation that is happening between two men where God is doing a supernatural work in the life of the church early on and the message is still so relevant for us today. Now, Paul and Timothy, once they struck up this relationship, they would travel throughout the Palestinian world and now into modern-day Turkey. They would go on kind of spiritual road trips, if you will, and they would come into these cities, and they would start these churches. And uh, the first church that we're talking about here in Second Timothy is the church in Ephesus. And so Paul and Timothy are on this spiritual road trip. They land in this area and they launch this church. And about that time, Paul was a man on a mission, so he couldn't stay long. Paul was like, okay, we gotta move on. So they move on from the church, and all of a sudden word gets to Paul. The church is going downhill. The church is in a mess, and to which you might say, well, churches are often in a mess. To which I would say, yes, do you know why churches are messy? because they are made up of people like you and people like me. And people are messy, right? And so some things are not new. Now, I believe the church is the hope of the world when she is hitting on all cylinders. Can I get an amen? Amen. But in this situation, the church that Paul loved and Paul and Timothy launched started to go downhill. Paul's like, I can't have that. Paul goes back to the church in Ephesus. He takes Timothy. He starts to course correct. He starts to correct false teaching. He starts to teach, but before long, Paul's like, I got to go. And he looks at Timothy. Powerful point here. And he hands Timothy the baton. Timothy's not ready for it. And Paul says, Timothy, it's your turn to take the baton and run the race. Don't, I, I, I can, I can kind of picture Paul saying, don't mess this up. And then he leaves Timothy to go about leading this church. And you know what's cool? I'll just tell you a little on a side note. There is a historian by the name of Eusebius, um, and Eusebius would record, outside of Scripture, Eusebius would record that Timothy would actually rise to the occasion lead this church in Ephesus with great faithfulness and impact and it would become one of the prevailing churches of the first century. Timothy takes it and runs with it. Go to verse three and look what Paul does here. Paul says, I thank God. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear what church, with a clear what? conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Let's continue recalling your tears again, just hear, hear the relational equity that exists between these two. I long to see you picture, picture a dad. I can only relate it to myself. Like my kids are off at college, three of them at least. And I just, I long to see them. Any chance Amy Lynn and I can have with them, we seize it. Paul says, I long to see you so that I may be filled with what, church? With joy, all right? I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So notice something. Paul is like a chief encourager. Paul is not only just pouring into and developing Timothy so that he can lead the church, Paul is encouraging him. And I don't know about you, but is there anybody here who doesn't need regular encouragement? The question I would kinda ask you at this point in time is one that my mentor asked me a long time ago. Who, who is your Timothy? I talked about those of you raised in the 60s. Those of you who are a little more mature, A little more seasoned among us today, can I let you know that those who are younger than you, they need your wisdom. Young people, can I get an amen? Amen. Like, you might not know this, you might think young people today, you might be one of those older people, you know, who cut your grass with your socks up to your knees. And you just bark at anybody that comes by or anybody who steps on your lawn, right? Hey, rah, rah, rah. And you, you, might, <laughs> you might think young people don't want that, but can I let you in on a little secret? The number one thing young people say to me in this church is they want someone to mentor them. People are lonely, man. People are looking for for people to develop them. And so the question is, who is your Timothy, my mentor used to ask me. Who is your Timothy? Who are you pouring into someone younger than you that you are developing, that you are praying with, that you are holding them accountable? But then he would flip it like this, and who is your Paul? Who is your Paul? Who's actually developing you? Who's pouring into you? Who's holding you accountable Who's asking you hard questions? And and I will just say, because I can kind of sense it in the air right now and kind of see it on your faces. The majority of us, if I was sitting down having coffee with you, you would probably have to admit, I don't have a Timothy. You, You would probably have to admit, I don't have a Paul pouring into me. And I've been right where you are. And the problem, see, this is where when we read scripture, it seems so foreign to us. Because in a postmodern, westernized version of Christianity, we've taken a faith that can only be experienced communally. And we've turned it into a kind of rugged individualism. A kind of narcissistic isolationism, where the faith becomes just me and God nobody else. And what happens is we have become, you probably know this, but we've become a country that is now telling us that loneliness is an epidemic. And some of you are probably sitting here and if you were honest with yourself, you would admit, I am just so lonely. And so there's two really, really important things just this far into the passage. Number one, Paul is a chief encourager. He starts out by saying, I thank God. Question, where was Paul? Answer, jail. Paul was in jail. Now when I say jail, don't picture jails today. Paul wasn't talking about three meals a day a little library that I can go to and study so that I can uh, sue the system that has me in jail, right? Where I get to walk around the yard for an hour a day. No, 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 no. I've I've been to ancient Israel. I've been to these places. I've been to these places where Paul was in jail, where antiquity teaches us Paul was in prison. I'm talking about a hole in the ground where he's thrown in there. I can imagine him writing this letter to Timothy under candlelight, if you will, He's in jail. He's about to possibly die for his faith. He's riding and living under the gallows, if you will, and he is thanking God for what he has in Timothy and what he has in the gospel. Causes me to just say, Thanksgiving is 25 days away, if I've done my math correctly. I thought about it early this morning. I wanna give you an assignment. You ready for this? Jot this down if you will. Here's what I want you to do for the next 25 days. I want you to write down every single day, just one thing, just one thing for which you are uniquely thankful. Telling you, church, you'll see your whole outlook on life start to change. There's something about gratitude, and I don't know why it's the case, but the hardest arithmetic to master is the arithmetic of just counting your blessings and adding them up. If I might say so, every single person within the sound of my breath today is blessed. You're like, you don't know my story. I don't know your story, but let me tell you what I do know. As far as I can tell, you are sucking oxygen right now. God woke you up this morning, come on now and breathed into you the breath of life. You are blessed. Secondarily, if I might say so myself, and again, you might disagree with me, but you live in one of the greatest, if not the greatest country on the planet. Some of you like anti I know you're not so sure about that, but again, we can agree to disagree. It's okay, it's okay. If I might say so, you live in one of the greatest areas of this country. If you don't believe me, go to Sumter, South Carolina. <laughs> People ask me sometimes, Pastor, what, what made you stay when you came to do? Why didn't you go back home? I was like, have you been to Sumter? I pulled up in here, and I knew in no time, I'm like, oh, I'm staying. You are blessed We are blessed, and yet some reason we're not able to to count our blessings on a regular basis. I believe the old spiritual goes something like this. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them. Oh, you know it. So for the next 25 days, as you're studying, maybe you do it in the Bible, or in the notes that you have near your 2 Timothy, or in your journal. 25 days between now and Thanksgiving, Just write down every single day something for which you are grateful. Your marriage stinks? Write down something every day for which you're grateful for about your marriage. You might be like, I ain't grateful for anything. (laughs) Come on. It can't be that bad. You're like, you don't know, you don't live with her. (laughs) You don't live with him. Come on. The point is, when times get hard, take it from me. When times get hard, your perspective gets way out of whack. And if you're living, this is why this is so important, if you're living in isolationism, if you're doing it as a lone ranger, as your perspective gets way out of whack and you start to believe the lies, it's a real short distance between there and actually quitting on a job or quitting on a relationship or quitting on this or quitting on that. Don't you quit. Find your grit. Let this series help you do that. And one of the key things we learn right away is the power of thanksgiving. Go to verse six. Here we go, just continuing to plow back to the text. Verse six. Hey, we haven't read scripture together as far as I can tell today. Ready? Ready, ready, I'm gonna trust that it's there. One, two, three. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Hands. For this reason, I remind you to what? Any bonfire people here? Come on, come on! Show you. Uh, These are my people. Where are my bonfire people? A people? You mean to tell me the rest of you don't enjoy a good bonfire? Have we become so stinking cityfied that we don't like bonfires? Like, I, guys, listen. I'm just telling you. You know, you might not notice about me. You get me with the right group of people on a cool night with a bonfire, and I am golden. I absolutely love it, and I'm one of those, I like to start the fire. I like to stoke the fire, unless my kids are there, and then now they, they insist, and I love it. I give them the honors. They start the fire. We, we love bonfires. Now, Paul is saying that this thing that, that God is doing in our lives, it is a gift from God. Can I get an amen? God gifts us with the gospel, amen? And God will gift us with grit. We will get to that in just a moment where the, the role of the Holy Spirit in your grit. But what is really, really important is that every single person understands you have a role to play. Like, like you have a role to play. You are to fan into flame. In other words, you can learn grit. I said that early on, but it's worth repeating. You can Learn it. And this is some of the poor teaching. I can only imagine this was some of the stuff Paul was course correcting. And this, by the way, is still in the water we drink today. It's this crazy notion that if I receive the gospel, then it's incumbent upon God to do everything in my life and make my life glorious. It's poor theology. It's kissing cousin is the prosperity gospel. To which you might go, what's the prosperity gospel? Okay, here's another assignment. Set your alarm clock tonight for 1 a.m. Get up. <laughs> Some of y'all know where I'm going. Turn on your television. Look for the biggest hair preacher you can find. Often blue hair, if, if, if it's a female. If it's a male, I know I'm broad stroking here. It's, 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 it's still a lot of hair, but it's got a can of hairspray on it. And they preach this gospel, and I don't mean any of that in a critical, judgmental way. Please, please know my heart. I'm just actually trying to point out something. The, the, the prosperity gospel is a gospel that says if you receive Jesus, then everything else will take care of itself in your life. You'll have no worries. You'll get a great job. You'll You'll become rich. You'll have a great marriage to a very gorgeous person and get ready because a windfall of money is coming your way. You'll never get sick and you'll live a long, long life. And Some of you are here and where your faith has been challenged the most is because somewhere along the way You started to believe this notion of a prosperity gospel. Maybe you're here and you stood as a child. This is some of your story. And you stood by the bed of a grandparent or a mother or a father and you prayed with childlike faith, pure, innocent faith that God would heal that person. Time out. Let's make sure our theology stays straight. Could God heal that person? Does God always heal that person? No. No. And you stood there and your faith hit a wall because you had been told, if I just believe enough, if I just pray enough. Some of you, you fell into a marriage and you thought God was all over it and then all of a sudden they walked out on you. The prosperity gospel is a false teaching predicated upon the erroneous belief that if I have faith in Jesus, my life will be perfect, and it is a lie. Now what's so cool is that Paul, in just a moment, starts to talk to us about this thing called suffering. Another reality in which our culture, and unfortunately the church, has not done a good job teaching. There is great power and redemption and God's transformative work in my life when I develop a robust theology of suffering. Let me not get ahead of myself. We will get there soon enough. In fact, let's get there now. Verse seven. Verse seven of 2 Timothy 1. If you love the word, let me hear an amen. Amen. And I love teaching a church that loves the word. Verse seven, for the spirit God gave us does not make us what church? Does not make us timid, but gives us, gives us And so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, here it is, join with me in in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We are some of the most spoiled people on the planet. We, me, let me make it personal. If I'm not careful, I can start moaning and groaning over first world problems. We have a poor theology when it comes to suffering. Notice this with the verse, and I'm gonna ask the people to go back to verse seven. Notice that the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The first thing you need to know, write this down if you're a note taker. It is the Holy Spirit that will infuse within us grit. Grit. Pray for it, desire it, seek it. You can become a gritty person. The Holy Spirit brings it about. We have our role to play. We fan the flame, if you will. But then notice Paul is saying, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now I'll be the first to admit, I don't like to suffer. Raise your hand if you're here and you just love to suffer. No, nobody here at Durham, what about at the campuses? I'm guessing no. But just because we don't enjoy, and Paul wouldn't say enjoy it, but just because we don't enjoy it does not mean that there is great redemptive, transformative potential when we suffer. I've learned to ask this question and you need to steal this from me. Whenever life is hard, whenever you find yourself suffering, whenever you're in pain, whenever you're in a dark place, whenever things have just not worked out as you desire them, instead of saying, God, take me out of this suffering, instead say, God, Teach me what you are wanting to reveal to me in the midst of my suffering. Show me, God, how you want to redeem this because chances are God can do whatever He wants to do. But what I've learned is chances are God's not going to remove me from that particular situation until I make myself available to what he's trying to reveal to me in that situation. It's a robust theology of suffering that we'll be able to tap on from time to time. Verse 15, if I wasn't a kind pastor, I would ask you to read this with me because there are a few words I would just love to see you stumble over. And just make no mistake it, most pastors like myself, we aren't even really sure how you say it. It's 2,000 years ago, guys. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. That's the best I can do, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Paul's saying, you know that everyone has deserted me. I I, I wonder if everyone really had deserted Paul. maybe Maybe there's a little embellishment going on here, but Paul is saying, I know what it's like to be betrayed. Do you? Everybody here probably knows what it's like to be betrayed, to have someone stab you in the back, to have someone lie to you. People will lie to you straight to your face and then stab you in the back as they leave you. But Paul says, whatever you do, hold fast. Don't you let someone who has betrayed you or hurt you cause you to live a life less than what God has called you to do and be. Listen, stop. I thought like, like this is for some of you. Stop fixating on your enemies. Stop worrying about the person who has betrayed you. Stop Worrying about the person who has lied to you and then lied to your face and then lied behind your back. Stop worrying about them. The more you stay fixated on them, the far greater chance you're gonna have to live a mediocre or dismal life. The Bible teaches us to forgive people. You know we don't forgive people for their sake. We forgive people for whose sake? our sake. You forgive them. Some of you need to, some of you need to today go home and actually just forgive the person that you're thinking about all the time. You wake up at night thinking about them. You wake up in the morning thinking about them. You think about them all day long. You got such animosity and bitterness and anger. You think about them as you go to bed. Listen, that stuff is cancer, cancer to your body, to your soul, to your mind. Here's what you need to do. Forgive them Build a bridge and get over it and be the purse. Come on, go, go after what God's got for you. God's got a great life for you. You gotta get your eyes off of those who have betrayed you. Go, to, go down to verse 16. Paul says, hold fast. May the Lord show mercy to the household. Here's a few more. To the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Verse 17, on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Verse 18, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus, and we'll end here, at least for the verses from Timothy. Chapter two, verse one and two. You then, my son, be what? You can't be strong if all you're doing is stressing out and worrying about the spouse who left you high and dry. I know it hurts. talking about suffering. But you can't be strong if all you do is stay there. You can't be strong, mad at your boss who didn't give you the promotion. No, 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 forgive them. Lift your head up, get grit, and show them next time that you've you've added enough value to the organization that they can't deny you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's continue. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, oh, this is so key. Entrust to what? Reliable. Reliable people who will also be qualified to teach Others. Powerful, powerful. Instead of fixating on those who have hurt you and left you high and dry, what you really need to do is start trying to find your tribe. If I could just wrap it up with this one key admonishment to you who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Who's your tribe? And if I had time, and I know I'm going to do this in the week's head, I don't really have time to say much about it today. But you need to know, oh my Lord. Five years ago, I hit my second wall in ministry, and I didn't know if I was going to make it out of it. Like I was done. Like I would get up here, so you don't you don't know this, um, because I couldn't tell it to you then. Now I can tell it to you, because I'm on the other side of it. But I'd get up here on this stage, and I'd try to teach. And I'd walk off the stage and I'd go back here and I'd go, oh God, I can't do it anymore. And and what you should know is that I am certain, yes, God infuses us with the Holy Spirit, but I am certain beyond a shadow of a doubt if I did not have my tribe, if I did not have, and it's about 13, 14 pastors we get together twice a year, if I didn't have my tribe, that I could be real with them about this and I could actually learn after I shared and they would they share where they were and I actually learned that pastors go through this. If I didn't have my tribe to, to help me find my grit, I can promise you I would have quit. And this is why so many people quit today. They're trying to go it alone. And if they're not going it alone, don't miss this, they're not selective about who they're hanging out with. Who are the people you're hanging out with? Are they good for you? Like, do they encourage you? Do they hold you accountable? Are they godly? Listen, you are the average of the top five people you hang out with. Is that an encouraging thought to you? Or is that a depressing thought? Seriously. You, you're, you're the average of the top five people you hang out with. Hey, I don't, know if they, I don't know if this is still the case. I don't hear about this much anymore, at least in my kids' school, praise be to God. When I was a, when I was a kid in elementary school, we had this thing called lice. Is lice a big deal now? Does lice still happen? I'd go to school, and in and, and my elementary school, we would get notes. We didn't get emails back then. We'd get notes. And they'd send notes to our parents saying we've had an outbreak of lice. How many of y'all grew up with that? Don't you lie, you're in the house of God. I'd go home and I'd hand the note to my mama and my mama would freak out. She'd then grab my, my, usually by the ears, pull me over to the sink and start crawling through my hair trying to find little lice, and we freaked out about lice back then. because You know, these little crawly, little creepy things that if you go to school and you hang around the person with lice, they jump on you. I stopped by to let you know, some of you have some friends that stuff is jumping off of them, getting on you. Some creepy, (laughs) crawly stuff, where when you hang out with people, you come home and you got a bad attitude. You don't trust the Bible anymore. You're not sure you believe about God anymore. And all that creepy crawly stuff has jumped off of them right on you. Who's your friends? Some of the best thing you can do. Some of you need to send an email when you get home. Some of you need to unfriend some people. And you're like, you're like, ho, ho, ho pastor, aren't we supposed to love everybody? Yeah, you can love them from a distance. distance. Get that creepy, crawly stuff off of you. If you don't come back from your tribe encouraged, infused with positive energy, challenged to be the best you you can be, if instead you come back and life just stinks and, you know, you come home and everything's bad, kids are misbehaving, the dog's messed up, you kick the dog. You, you you just turning into a bad version of you. Listen, you need to cut those people out of your life. You're like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Yes, you are. You can love them. You can definitely still invite them to church. God loves them, and we're trying. And you can, you can do all those things, but listen, some of you need to change your playground and your playmates because people are bringing you down. People aren't building grit into you. They're taking it out of you. Really important. Paul says, find some reliable men. Who's your tribe? And that's the case if you have a bad tribe. But back to where I started, this message will go full circle, and I'll wrap up with this. Some of you, though, you don't have a bad tribe. You just don't have a tribe. And you're so lonely, it's killing you. Do you know that they're telling us now loneliness is an epidemic in America? (laughs) Technology and particularly social media lied to us. It told us that we would be more connected than ever. And yet we are more disconnected than any generation previously. Who's your tribe who are your people? And this is where the church, the, and this is not just some pastor speaking. You, you can read the New Testament from start to finish. This is where the beauty of the church comes in. Nobody who calls New Hope their church home should live in isolationism. We are a church that firmly believes that every single person, even that person I was just telling you to get away from, Every single person deserves to have a community where they are needed and known. Everybody say that with me, needed and known. Come on, needed and known. One more time, needed and known. And if you're trying to do it alone, hey, can I tell you what I really believe? If you are trying to do it alone and you are just lonely and you're not willing to take some steps to find authentic community, you might not make it. I've um, been to Africa a few times on missions trips. I love, I love Africa. I love, I love the missions trips, but I'm not going to lie to you. I also love the fact that at the end of a mission trip, we usually go on a safari And I love that. I love the great outdoors. If you've never been to a true African safari, it is absolutely amazing. I'll never forget the first one I went on. We were, a group of us was in one of those big Jeeps and our guide took us to the top of the hill and we looked over this beautiful like ravine area, if you will, and we were looking for the big five, if you know about that. We were looking for the big five. We had seen most of them and he pointed out right down there was a bunch of lions. And I was just mesmerized by the lion, unbelievable. And then he pointed off to the distance and there was a herd of zebras. And as you looked at the herd of zebras, they were all together, but there was one zebra off from the pack. And the guide goes, watch this. I can't do the African accent. And I go, watch what? He goes, watch this. And all of a sudden, one of the lions got down and it started prowling. And I start thinking, oh no, it's about to go down. I I asked him to pull up some, he pulled up a little bit more. I was like all into it. This is survival of the fittest, right? This is Darwinian, if you will. And uh, he he takes off, and who do you think, which zebra do you think the lion went after? The one that was out there all alone. And I remember in that very moment, remembering this verse of scripture, come on out loud, really strong, ready? Go, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you're all alone, you're probably not gonna make it. And I know that if you're honest with yourself, you will admit the loneliness is killing you. Then why don't you find community here at New Hope Church? I hesitated to even give you some application today because I didn't want it to feel like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm turning a message into like, you know, trying to get you to get involved. I don't know why I struggle with that this time because I'm always unapologetically asking you to get involved. But it would, be, it would be so remiss of me to not say at the end of the message a few things about application. Number one, join a life group. Why are you doing it alone? Join a life group or a serving group. And again, this is not about us needing you to serve. We'd love to have you serve. But our serving groups, man, they experience authentic community. Join a life group or a serving group today by marking your Connect card. Brand new Connect card, it's in front of all of you. If you're on the front row, it's in the basket in front of you. Just mark on there, I wanna get involved in a serving group or a life group. Secondly, register for the January semester of Rooted. Let me hear from my Rooted people up in the house. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're on week eight this week. Rooted, man, Yeah, it's, it's, it's changing the spiritual trajectory of our church. And you're like, well, I don't want to get in one now. No problem. Register today, though, because we're probably going to run out of spots like we did this last semester. Register today by pulling out your phone and texting get rooted, no spaces, get rooted to 59769. And thirdly, I threw this on there again, just so you'd know, this is not me just trying to get people to do stuff around here. Find your tribe elsewhere. Like I don't, I, no, no, don't take that the wrong way, no. Y'all crazy. I don't, I just realized it could be read that way. I don't mean leave. That's funny, that's funny. I hope the first service didn't leave here thinking, no, I, I'm not telling you to like, don't let the door hit you in the butt. No, keep coming to church here. But, but if you're not gonna find your tribe here, find your tribe somewhere. I told you, my tribe's not here. I could never have a tribe, really. It's been a painful, it's, it's a painful reality for me. But it's hard for me to find my tribe here. When I show up in a group, y'all all start acting funny. <laughs> Ooh, the pastor's here. Ooh, better not say this. Better not say that. Better have my Bible in my hand. <laughs> Listen, when I show up, just just keep it real. Just be yourself, man. But I can't I can't find my tribe here for the most part. So I found it elsewhere. Who's your people? You really, really, despite what everything in America says to you, despite this whole narcissistic individualism, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that is a bunch of you know what from you know where. We all need people. Find your tribe. feel led to say and whatever you do don't quit please don't quit but we need you and I'm not talking about a job don't you quit on life don't you take the easy way out Don't you grapple for an eternal long term solution to a temporary problem. We need you. We love you. Don't you dare quit on life or anything else that matters to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.